Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to The Captain's Collective, brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, Turtle Box Audio, All Hands Vodka, Costa Sunglasses, and Orvis Fly Fishing. In today's podcast, we sit down with Justin Anderson of Historic Coast Outfitters and discuss the operation that he and his team is building in St. Augustine, Florida. We also dive into the ins and outs of chasing marsh hens in the high tide and Justin's background in hog hunting. The team at Historic Coast Outfitters have paired up with Marsh Sessions to host an event that's happening in their area called Marsh Fest, which will be on October 7th at North Guana Outfitters from 2 to 8 p.m. It's going to be family friendly and include food and live music, as well as a raffle featuring some amazing companies, including the sponsors of this show and our friends at Gunner Kennels, Honeycomb Custom Calls, and a whole slew of great companies. We would love to have you swing by. For more info, you can head to the show notes. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy. This is the Captain's Collective. I'll say it's anything you choose. I think it picks you. You know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet and then it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go and sometimes just that quiet space is is what we need and especially in this day and age you have a fly rod in your hand it's this tool that takes you to beautiful places you meet hopefully wonderful people and it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure when the fish is coming that shot within a shot that timer starts beep 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 no one else knew anything anyway and you're just might definitely making it up if you're going along but so what grandpa and dad would tell me is like all right where's an old big trout laying out there where's his shaving cream on the water where's he been shaving this morning at? So look for his shaving cream on the water and that's where he's gonna be all right hey justin thanks for hanging out with me today and showing me around uh saint augustine and i fished jacksonville i fished a little south of here, uh, but today was my first day really fishing St. Augustine, which was great, and it was really fun to have that experience, man, and just to be able to see just a little bit more of this East Coast fishery and all the things that you guys have to offer, and what an amazing, beautiful part of Florida. So thanks for sharing that with me and giving me a place to crash and uh, putting me up, and I've had a lot of fun hearing about what you guys are up to, and um, and excited to come back in a couple weeks for Marsh Fest. And so before we dive in, um, that's really the main reason I wanted to come over was just to learn more about the event. I'm excited to be a part of the event. Can you share kind of what you guys are doing with Marsh Fest, what it is, what it looks like, and if people are listening to this want to come, kind of how they can set that up? Yeah, man, absolutely. And uh, thanks for coming up. And uh, it's an honor to be uh, on here with you and speaking with you and uh, everything you're doing to help us with the fest. Um, so basically the idea of Marsh Fest came, um, years ago here, there used to be an event called Flood Tide Fest that Von Cochran, um, and the guys had set up and it kind of died out and went away and me and, um, Javier from Marsh, Marsh Sessions, mm-hmm. um, got together and we really wanted to do something community based. Uh, everyone likes the marsh setting as far as the hunting, the fishing aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people, those same people are into the same music, same activities other than just the stuff we do in the outdoors. 
So with that in mind um, and talking to Vince a little bit, we were tossing around some ideas and we said, let's do something that encompasses all of it, not just a fishing tournament, not just an expo to show people's products and just sell things. Let's do something that truly brings everyone together so we could mm -hmm. showcase different brands, different products, um, different ideas, different guides, um, anything really to do with the industry mm -hmm. involving fishing, waterfowl, turkey hunting, the, the whole, whole realm of that, along with music. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, all of us, most of us love live music. So we all teamed up, me, Javier, and Lauren with North Guana Outpost, who is hosting the event, um, and kind of put together our connections and vendors. And uh, the goal this year is a one-day event. Um, we're going to have a trout seminar by Captain Matt Chipperfield. Mm -hmm. We're going to have a casting competition, turkey calling competition, um, a fly tying showcase. We have three live bands oyster roast, food trucks, um, and it's free to the public. So it's an opportunity just to bring everyone together, uh, showcase what they have. We have multiple guides who have donated uh, four-hour, six-hour, full-day charters. We have Gunner Kennels doing something for the mm -hmm. raffles. We have just numerous uh, big vendors have stepped up mm -hmm. and really contributed to make this what, it, you know, what we hope it's going to be. So this year, starting out one-day events, from 2 to 8 o'clock at North Guana Outpost in Ponte Vedra, Florida. Mm -hmm. Hopefully next year we roll it into maybe a three-day event from a Friday through Sunday, have way more bands, bigger vendors, that sort of thing. So that's kind of the hopes. But mm -hmm. this is where it all started really about four months ago mm -hmm. um, with us putting it together, and this is what it's turned into so far. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about the venue because that was one of the things that excited me of just – to me, I haven't done much with tournaments. It's just not, you know, personally fishing in tournaments is not a big objective of mine. But the opportunities that I have had to be a part of some of those over the years, I've always loved the social part of just hanging out, having a drink, eating some food, meeting people. I've always enjoyed that part. And to me, this is kind of like everything about that that I like kind of blown up a little bit. And... Um, it looks like it's going to be in a really great venue. Could you just share what kind of what the vibe's going to be at that place? Yeah, absolutely. So Guana Outpost is a small outfitter shop. They have clothing, they have paddle boards, they have some fishing tackle, they have some beach stuff because it's not far from the beach. Um, but also it is located on Guana Preserve. So Guana mm -hmm. Preserve is a protected wildlife management area here. Um, various hogs, birding, um, just a killer outdoor place that is protected here. Connected also to a saltwater lake that mm -hmm. is uh, blocked off from the intercoastal by a dam um, so guana sits uh, right on the or sorry north guana outpost sits right on the edge of that um, so you pull up it's a small white block building patio off to the left behind that is the uh, ramp kayak launch and paddleboard launch so they mm -hmm. do tours they also do surf camps so they're very community involved so this is going to be a very outdoor setting um, we're going to have bonfire going on oyster roast uh, things of that nature so very uh, marsh fest vibe if you will yeah that's one of the things that for me I think is really obvious over the years that when I meet people not everybody has kind of their own particular things that they're super drawn to, but it's not uncommon for me to meet somebody in the fishing world or the hunting world that also really loves food and cooking food or really appreciates music. Or it seems like it's just people who really like to have a good time and good time is activities, 
food, music, etc. And you know, I'm I'm really looking forward to being a part of the event. For me, too, like uh, I know I'm going to get to spend some time with you and, and your team at Historic Outfitters. I'm going to get to hang out with Drew Wilson, the tattoo artist, which I'm really excited about. Like we wanting to, uh, we just haven't worked it out, but we've been talking for probably at least a year, if not more than that, about trying to get together. And I've been wanting to go up to Arkansas and fish with him. And so, um, just a really great artist doing some really cool stuff and get to hang out with him. We're going to bring my dog up, do some, uh, uh, some marsh hen hunting. Um, we're going to have some awesome food. I mean, to me, it's, it's just one big fun fest, but fun fest doesn't sound, marsh fest sounds better. (laughs) <laughs> right, right, right. Fun Fest sounds a little iffy, uh, you know, it needs a little work, but, um, you know, the idea of doing the oysters and, uh, I know Leon Meitzen, who's a friend of mine, good friend of mine, uh, will be doing music there. Um, and just an opportunity to get the community together, let people, you know, swing by and have some fun. So thanks for putting it on. And really, I think a lot of people have these dreams of doing stuff like that. And I know for you, um, I met you last year i think in tampa yeah, was that right about somewhere last year? around there yeah and uh it's cool to see this kind of come from just an idea a little seed um to what it is today what would you encourage people like this as you kind of get ready to see it all come together w- what are some things that you've learned already from trying to put this event together from the outside looking in a lot of things i think when you're talking industry and outdoors industry seem unattainable to the common man and when i say that mm-hmm. to the guy who works 40 to 50 hours a week. He's grinding. He has a family to feed. He fishes when he can, loves it just as much as the rest of us. Mm -hmm. But to make that jump almost looks impossible sometimes. Um, And what I've learned is if you truly want to pursue something, avenues will open up. If Mm -hmm. you fully go after that, and believe that what you're doing has a purpose, not, Mm -hmm. Hey man, I just love fishing. So I want to fish all the time. That's not what I'm talking about. Like I got to a point where I have a magnificent job, do very well, have a lot of freedom, Mm -hmm. but it was still a job and I still had to be there and it was still a lot required of me at that job. So I had more time than most to be on the water, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't enough. And so here I am, at the turning point where, man, I got a family to feed, I have kids to raise, you know, I have a wife who depends on me. How am I going to make this jump? Well, around that time, I discover the Captain's Collective podcast, right? Mm-hmm. And I start meeting people like Vince Stagura and uh, Jesse Males and, you know, th- that whole crew of people I ended up stumbling around and becoming kind of social with. Mm-hmm. And... I realized like listening to uh, some of your stories, like the Jay Carson mm-hmm. story that man, these guys were ordinary dudes, just mm-hmm. like me, same passion as me. The only difference is they made the leap. Mm-hmm. They, they did it. You know, a lot of people think about it, but to actually do it and see some progress made. And we're just in the groundbreaking stages of this. We haven't mm-hmm. accomplished anything as of yet, mm-hmm. but the road is definitely in place by taking that first step. Yeah. If you wholeheartedly believe in your plan and you just take that step and uh, grind into until it happens, mm-hmm. it's very obtainable. Yeah. And and I believe I'm not a huge religious man, but I do believe things happen for a reason, and I believe God has a purpose. And mm-hmm. sometimes we all want God just to fulfill the purpose without any work going into it. Yeah. And humbly, I think He He rewards those who go after it and work for it first. So. 
that would be my words of encouragement is to make that first step. That's always the hardest. And then you figure the rest out from there. I mean, there's a lot of unknowns in this, but you got to make that first step. Yeah. And just to help everybody get a little bit bigger picture, there's, there's Marsh Fest, the event that's happening here in October. And then there's what you're doing with historic outfitters, which is going to be the guide operation that you run. So, you know, you've taken the leap to kind of taking it upon yourself to try to help this community event come to place. And at the same time in your life, you're working to set up your, your dream job, your passion, which I've always loved being around people who have something that they're obsessive about trying to set up. And a really good friend of mine that I consider, you know, one of, one of many of my mentors, Kyle Schaefer did this with Soulfly Lodge in the Bahamas. And, you know, sat down with Oliver White, got to hear his story about, you know, his passion for starting new projects, new works. And for you, it's kind of fun because I interviewed Kyle after everything got going, interviewed Oliver long after many of his operations got going. And so now, you know, to sit here with you, you're, you're doing Marsh Fest, this really fun event, but you're also at the very beginning of putting together Historic Coast Outfitters. Give everybody an overview. I know that it's, you know, it's not even like the concrete hasn't dried. The concrete's still being poured. The right. framing is still happening before the concrete gets poured. But just give everybody a little bit of taste of what what is that dream? Me and you are sitting here, you know, we're we're having a drink and you're sharing with me your dream of what, what you want to do and the leap you want to make. What's that? So the ultimate goal for Historic Coast Outfitters, it was a group of friends who were all at a certain crossroads in life, got together. Um, I've always been one that was not the best in any group. I'm not the best fisherman. I'm not the best hunter. I'm not the most talented dude. But I've always had a knack for bringing together those people mm -hmm. in, in, into a common goal. So as some of those friends were kind of approaching the same roads as me and dabbling with the idea... Um, and looking at what our area offered, there's tons of great guides up here, but there was nothing like court had going on down there. Mm -hmm. There was nothing like Kyle, like, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. I listened to that episode, nothing like that here. And I wanted to encompass, like when people think Jacksonville and St. Augustine, they think more of a, a city. And mm -hmm. a lot of people don't see the marsh and the back country that we do have, um, and so that, along with having people, uh, you know, comment on my stuff that I shared and man, where are you at? And I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm in my backyard, you know, this is where we grew up. You guys just don't see this side of it. So that was the goal. We came together. Um, I got five guys total, including myself and all have different strengths and, and you know, mm -hmm. goals in mind. Um, the goal for historic coast outfitters, uh, we have a house currently in the historic district of St. Augustine. Mm -hmm. It's about five minutes from the ramp. Uh, a, a normal experience here would involve you coming into town, us picking you up, uh, taking you to the house. We'll feed you a good dinner. We take you out. We do some fishing. Come back. Uh, you can visit the Historic Coast District, which offers various tourist opportunities, food and wide bars, um, things of that nature. Uh, we also offer on the outdoors aspect, we offer, there's everything here. There's flood tide fishing, there's low tide belly crawlers, mm -hmm. uh, you know, out of the water. There's tarpon that are seasonal. We have uh, spectacular trout fishing, flounder fishing. We have the Martians. We mm -hmm. have eastern turkeys. So we have a lot to offer in this region for it being a fairly large city. Mm -hmm. And that is our goal. We want to establish something here that still brings out old Florida. I mean, after all, 
St. Augustine is the nation's oldest city. So what better place to do it and showcase it? Um, we have a beautiful estuary here, as you've seen this morning. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a lot about the uh, tons of birds in the area. Yeah. So there's just wildlife everywhere, and it's not something even the locals really focus on and get to see sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that I've fished, you know, Jacksonville, I fished Palm Coast, New Smyrna, you know, Mosquito Lagoon, all of that. And one of the things that really stood out to me about my time in Jacksonville was to be in Jacksonville, Duval, which is, I don't know, it feels like it's as big as three states. I don't know. It is. is. (laughs) (laughs) um, It's a small country called Duval. And um, to be there and to totally forget you're there because you're so immersed in nature and you have all the Spartina grass and you have uh, these beautiful tidal creeks and you have some really good preserves. And I mean, I'm seeing hogs, I'm seeing redfish, I'm seeing, you know, we were looking at spoonbills today, which still, you know, those still blow my mind. I still love spoonbills. Yeah. So. I mean, <laughs> and, um, to be doing all that so close, like to think that, you know, we were talking today and you're like, you know, St. Augustine, like, as I would think of it, you know, chocolate and drinking wine and, walking around old pirate roads or whatever. Yeah, exactly. That's you know. what people think. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, I love it. You know, I do like it. But uh not all the tacky stuff, but it's still cool to it's cool to walk through a city that people walked through hundreds of years ago. All that's so close and so accessible. And then you but then you you're in a creek and you forget that there's anybody other than the people on the boat on the earth. And that's really neat. Um I think it's a great idea. I'm I'm excited to kind of watch it watch it play out. Love the fishery here. Really enjoyed the people that I've met so far that are going to be a part of it. And, um, you know, talking to you over the past year, it's it's really cool to hear um, your perspective as somebody who's mid-jump, you know. And uh, I'm excited to watch it unravel. So let's talk about this. So, all right, you guys have big tides, Tidal Creek fishing. It feels very Charleston in a lot of ways. It feels very Jacksonville, which kind of is and um duval Duval. feels very very duval (laughs) um and so you have that right you can go out you can fish a low tide really cool you can fish a flood tide you guys got the flood tide fishing the the redfish are up in the spartina grass they're popping on uh grasshoppers they're feeding on crabs um you have all that you guys have the flounder fishery that's really healthy for people who want to do that you guys have the osseal or you don't have osseal you have eastern turkeys and so you have that kind of hunting opportunities and then you have martians which as somebody who when i was 16 i started duck hunting heavy for a 16 year old not heavy for a 26 year old with a lot of money and no kids and getting after it and owns an airboat and a gator tail and a prodigy but but like for a 16 year old like sick for it i mean just really in it and never went after martians and then by the time i was in college i was i don't know you know just distracted slash didn't want to it was getting so popular i didn't want to like camp out every night just to shoot you know a handful of ringnecks and maybe a wood duck or a canvas back or something but like i never thought about martian hunting until i started kind of interacting with some of the folks over here for those who don't know what is the appeal the draw what does it look like to martian hunt 
So we, the favorite here is the cast and blast, the mixed combo. Mm -hmm. Um, You're out on a flood tide as that tide's coming up. So here we got to get it a little bit greater than a five, four. So five foot, four inches will flood into the grass. Mm -hmm. While that happens, you have a seasonal bird, the clapper King rail marsh hen. Um, And it's appealing because it's an easy hunt. When I say easy, not easy to shoot, but it's a relaxed vibe. Flood tides, if anyone who's ever fished them knows it's a different vibe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're floating over Spartina grass that's, you know, clears up the water. You're in the middle of the, you know, the deep creeks. And you look around and they flutter up. So you're pulling along. We're looking for redfish. When they flutter up, it's not like a, I guess, a duck or a pheasant or any of the other upland stuff. It's more of a flutter. It's not a takeoff flight jet out of there type bird. They're going to flutter up. So kids, first timers, people who are kind of newer to the bird game, I would say, it's a great starter point for them. Um, the little bit I know about duck hunting, I'm not a duck guy, but I know some ducks are super fast, super hard to shoot, a lot more into it, you know? So this mm. is like a entry level position to that, I would say. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, entry level still super fun because there's an abundance of them. So you had asked me a little bit earlier, we were talking about it and you were asking me, you know, what's a normal day or what's a normal limit or, you know, something along those lines. And it's nothing to go out and, you know, 15 plus birds, 20 birds, depending on the people, obviously in boats that we have out, but it's a very abundant uh, option for people. So I think that has a lot to do with the, the fun factor to Mm -hmm. it and the popularity of it but again it's something that not a lot of people know about of course the people who are in the fly community and the low country community that are into it know but your average person that's even into fishing have no idea they're there i couldn't tell you after we started posting some videos and some stuff on instagram people hit me up where are you at what is this what kind of bird is that Mm -hmm. like they literally had no idea that it existed so it's not that uncommon for people to be shocked and really not aware of what's available but it's something that kids you can bring your kids to do, you can bring your buddies to do. People of all skill levels can go out, have fun, and be successful at it with you know the right person sh- showing them the ropes. Yeah, and I think about with my kids, you know, there's I guess there's two big draws to me of why why I'm looking forward to it and what I see at face value on it is if you have kids, you know, I grew up and my dad would take me on some duck trips. That was one of the later things in life that my dad brought me to. Um, there's the gun safety piece. Um, there is also this piece of, you know, like if you're in a duck blind and you have young kids, you're like, don't look up, don't look up, don't look up, don't look up, don't, you know, and cause you don't want them to see your faces. You want everybody to kind of, there's a, there's, you know, you have to take camouflaging yourself seriously and telling a 10 year old boy to not look up at a tornado of ducks is like, you know, I mean, you're asking a lot of that 10 year old. I mean, of course people do that. And I think that's awesome, man. Just was, but for a kid, it's like, you're not going to be like, all right, we're approaching this marsh hen. Don't look, don't look, but you know, just put your face paint on, you know, we need to camo up, you know? And so that is a really cool appeal. And then the fact that you're getting to like, it's not just a cast and blast where you go and blast and then you go and cast. It's like, you're, you're targeting fish, you run into some Martians, you get to go for the Martians. Yeah, absolutely. You know, tide changes, you go back for fish. Great thing with kids too is the ability to get out and wade mm-hmm. so and, and really flush them up. So you cannot do it under a motorized boat. So you usually push pulling or you're out 
you know, waiting for them. I prefer personally to wait. I think it's mm-hmm. just brings a different aspect to it. And especially for kids, they don't have to worry about the boat moving. They don't have to worry about the edge of the boat. And if, especially if they're new with firearms and just learning, it's, it's a more full, you know, safe way to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone has their preference. That's mine. Um, so like my son lo- loves it, you know, which he grew up a little bit doing it. So he's a little more accustomed to it, but like I said, it's something that they go out. It's not a high pressure situation. It's not a, Hey, you can't talk here in a deer stand situation. Mm-hmm. It's a, Hey, we're walking through here. We're cutting it up. Oh, there's one. Let's, you know, flush them up and, and, you know, harvest them type deal. So it's definitely a, a way better introduction for kids, in my opinion, to that type of sport and activity. Yeah. Now I have, let's talk about the table fair. Um, so I have a, a friend of mine who has been sending me different W sauce to try. And uh, it's like a Worcestershire sauce. They have some breakfast sauce, all been really good. And so I was talking to you guys because I was like, I don't think I've ever, maybe I did when I was younger, but I don't, I don't think I've, I've had, you know, had a Martian. And um, so we're talking a little bit about how to prep them because the table fare is, Medium is that fair? Medium is fair. That's okay. a if let's you're not being be too a hard, real but let's assessment. Not lie. Yeah, that's that's the you know the bold truth. They're not okay. you're not going out to fine dining and eating Martians. Yeah. However, they're not terrible. They don't have an over gamey taste. Um, you can cook them a various ways. Some people crock pot cook them. Some people wrap them in bacon, like you would a, a kebab or a popper on the like yeah we were the, talking about the popper the so poppers, you the, know the popper is the you know is to me it's i've i've only had you know in extreme circumstances a popper i didn't like because you got the bacon you got the cream cheese right. you got you know whatever you know and so is that what is the best way to prep let's say because i'm excited to do this but we go out october I know it opens in September, but we go out in October when I come back and we shoot some Martians and we come back, we clean them. What's, what are we doing? That will depend on who at the house is cooking that weekend. But my preferred way, if I'm in charge, let's say the best person, I'm going to say he's going to do the poppers. Okay. If I have to vote and throw it out there now, reading his mind, he's definitely doing the poppers. Um, It's something that, everybody's going to like so to say like certain ways you could do it the crock pots you know some people that are not as much of a gamey person if gamey mm-hmm. really bothers them it may may ha- have a little more of a taste to it but like you said the bacon the other additives you know hot sauce on it um covers it a little more and it just blends together a little better but again that's my personal opinion that's the way i like them so that's the way i would choose to do them Mm. um and that's probably how we'll do them when you come back in october um with the other stuff we got going on planned for dinner and they'd fit good in for that so i think that's kind of the route we'll go maybe we'll go and do like a couple videos when you're here with it and uh try to showcase some of that too so people can kind of see the options yeah and i'm excited i'm going to bring my dog with me to marsh fest and we're going to see I'm sure he's, you know, I'm sure he's going to have a lot of fun with these birds and these retrieves and everything. Um, and I think, yeah, I'm just, uh, to me, you know, one of the things I love about getting to do this podcast is just hear about, you know, people's, uh, what people hope to do next, their dreams and their plans. And for you, I think you guys got a great thing going on. Tell me, let's wind back, go way, way back. You love the turkey hunt. You love the fish. You used to be deep in the hog hunting. We can talk about that. Um, and you grew up here. 
and this is kind of home base. So tell me about how all this really began for you and what it looked like for you to get into the outdoors. Um, growing up, same as most people that you've had on the show, started out as a kid. My dad was a blue collar guy, worked all the time into the outdoors when we could, you know, he had bills to pay and a family to raise. So I remember some of my earliest stages. Uh, one of the funny stories he'll always tell is about us going to a lake down the road and, uh, trying to catch some brim and bass and he had some crickets and I let all the crickets go and turn around, you know, chasing them through the field type deal. So my earliest memories are that and uh, out on Black Hammock Island, he used to take us out there as kids. So on the north side of Jacksonville here. Um, and I remember, you know, those days growing up, maybe being five, six years old, seven years old. So those were my earliest memories of the outdoors growing up. He was, you know, like I said, he would hunt and fish when he could, mm -hmm. but it wasn't a dad who every weekend we went somewhere and went fishing. But as I got older with buddies and exploring and pond hopping and hitting little creeks out in the woods and things like that, it began to grow. Um, and early on, I was more into the, the hunting side of things up until probably the last really 10 to 12 years. I always fished as well, but I was big into bow hunting and for deer and whitetail when I was younger. And I did that ex exclusively for a while, only bow hunting. Then I got into hog hunting with dogs and that sort of thing and trapping them and, mm -hmm. you know, doing that sort of thing for many years. And that was super fun. And then as the story goes in Florida, what happens? You lose habitat. So around here, you know, I went from a little small country town on the outskirts of Jacksonville and St. Augustine, where we had acres and acres of woods to run around and do our thing to it becoming houses and everything getting built up and us slowly losing that. And then around that time, having family and getting older, um, it just made sense that I transitioned a little more over to the fishing side of things. It was more accessible. Mm. Didn't have to travel as far. Um, so started out, fell in love with the marsh and red fishing, just with bait and lures and the basics and kind of had one friend, um, a guy named Joey Presson that, uh, was the only guy I knew who owned a fly rod. I seen him one time with it and I said, what the hell is that, man? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> this is a fly rod. So went with him one time during a flood tide, seen my first tailing redfish and it was pretty much game over after that. So as someone who came from the hunting background and primarily bow hunting, the spot and stock aspect sold it for me. Um, seeing that I began to dabble a little bit year or two would pick up a fly rod when it was mm -hmm. convenient right and the more i did it the more frustrated i got at that point it was one of the hardest things i ever done a guy who came and came from bow hunting was fairly decent at that and picked up a fly rod and it just totally whipping me for the first six to seven months trying mm -hmm. to figure it out and i fell in love with it and i fell in love with the sight fishing and pretty much went head over heels from that point on um Pretty much, I sold all my, or didn't sell my hunting dogs. I gave them to a good hunting friend of mine. Um, kind of got out of that aspect of everything. And I said, I'm going to go to this full time. This is, you know, it kind of consumed my mind. Um, more than anything else ever had as far mm -hmm. as the outdoors. And I'm, I'm a pretty obsessive person when I get focused on something. So that's kind of how it started, man. And got me mm -hmm. to, you know, the older years. I, like I said, early on was bass and I was heavy into that than the hunting. But once I hit fly fishing, it was, it was a different feel and a different enjoyment to me. Mm -hmm. And, um, from then on, that's what I decided I wanted to do. And, uh, I've stuck with it and kind of figured out this area, um, and really dialed that in over the last, probably I would say heavy on the fly rod the last seven years, mm -hmm. six to seven years. Um, and, 
and that's where we're at currently now. So not that I don't enjoy other types of fishing. I'll still pick up a spin rod and have just as much fun. But uh, that really captivated me and pulled me into the inshore sight fishing, you know, the whole this whole vibe mm-hmm. of what we got going on. And that's where it catapulted from. And, you know, I grew up in uh, a similar context here in Florida. And I know what you mean by dogs and hogs and how we in Florida people, not just Florida, but common in Florida people will, will hunt hogs with groups of dogs could you explain that a little bit because you were pretty deep into that like you know that was because there's people who have done it there's people who do it and then there's people who have the dogs and like and sure you know like that's that's a different level that's kind of like the difference between i've fished i have a friend and i fish with them a lot and i'm the guy who owns the boat you know that's the most important piece of equipment so tell us about that. So for me, the hog hunting game was all about watching the dog work. It wasn't necessarily the animal we were after, but hog dogs, unlike any other hunting dog, have a very few, uh, they have some particulars about them. Um, they're going to battle with an animal that can literally kill them with, a, you know, the swipe of the head. Um, animals that can get three to four inch, you know, tusk coming out that are razor sharp so these dogs there's a few different ways you can do it and there's a few different types my personal favorite and way i preferred were silent cur dogs so what that means is you have a dog that was bred in its early years many many years ago for farmers who didn't have fences they would let cattle and game out onto their ranches And when it was time to harvest one of them for the family, they would have these dogs that would go and bay these animals. And by bay, what that means, they would go search the animal down, circle the animal. Once they found the animal, they're going to begin to bark an alarm that they found this animal. Mm -hmm. So these dogs are on a track the whole time, scenting the dogs or scenting the, the game down circle it and they will begin to what's called bay the animal so they're rounding around the animal keeping that animal in place not letting him leave until you get there to be able to catch him Mm -hmm. so at that point you go in with what's called a catch dog that will go in and they basically run in grab the hog by the ear not not necessarily hurting the dog or, or hurting the hog or ripping the hog but they'll hold it in place you go in grab it by the back legs flip it over tie it up and you you know you re- most of them you're removing from nuisance areas mm-hmm. so that was kind of the game for me it was the hunt and the watch of the dog to be able to ride down a dirt road somewhere look out my window see a hog track where a hog had just crossed the road within x amount of hours a cur dog anywhere from two up to eight to 10, 12 hours, you know, depending on the range of dogs, some more, some less, um, put that dog on a track that was in the dirt and sit and wait and watch him and listen and watching him trail an animal through a mile of woods, a mile and a half of woods, two miles of woods. And all of a sudden hear a bark that they found this animal and watching him work and do that through wet terrain, through swamp, through briars, through stuff, mean you could physically not crawl through because it's so thick and then having to drive to run that for who knows, you know, a mile, two miles, they might stop it right there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was amazing to me. I mean, they're such an impressive animal and they have a drive like none other. Like you were talking about your dog and his ability and his want to go retrieve and it's kind of in them. And that's the same thing with those kind of dogs too. I'm a firm believer that 
there are certain genes and genetics that it's either in them or it is not. Um, you can train them to an extent, but that dog has to have that drive in them to, mm-hmm. to really make a hog dog, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was all about taking a puppy who didn't know anything about the woods, didn't know anything about this, and watching that dog locate and find and stop and pursue his, his game naturally. You know, you know, obviously I'm tweaking things and I'm helping him yeah. along the way. But there's a natural drive there, and that truly amazed me, and that's what drew me to it. Now, with that being said, hog hunting is super rough. It's not something most people enjoy. Mm-hmm. They like the idea of it. It sounds fun, but the idea is when you let that dog out and he goes a mile through the woods, you don't know where in that mile of woods he is going to stop that hog. Mm-hmm. So if he stops him on a swamp head and you're swimming through alligators and snakes and swamp to get to him, you have to go to wherever he's at. Mm-hmm. So it's not for the faint of heart. It's not for everybody, um, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. But again, as I got older and I have kids playing sports and we're losing habitat and I'm having to drive hours away to even do this, it just couldn't be a mainstay with me maintaining a family and a happy wife mm-hmm. to, to make that happen. So that's where it kind of ended for me. If I could still do it and it was still in my backyard, I would still 100% be probably, you know, neck deep in it but it's uh definitely not something for the average you know just everyday guy that he's going to go and do Mm -hmm. and i want to talk more about the habitat loss and i think what a lot of people in not just florida i mean a lot of people just in general who love the outdoors are wrestling with and how they process that and work through through that but before that you know when when i hear people's stories you know people saying well i got into fishing by chasing bass that is super normative. That's a super normative kind of uh, milestone or a formative thing for people in their outdoor experience. But the hog hunting piece, you know, that's not that's not as common. I'm curious, like with you having so much background in that, how maybe some of the lessons or things from the hog hunting season of your life has translated into fishing. The biggest thing I would say is patience. With training any kind of dog, Mm -hmm. you have to have patience. And the fishing game, I take the approach to move slower and be more observant um, because that's the things I had to do with dogs. When you're watching them, how they're acting when they're picking up a scent, how they're moving, uh, the tracks that they're taking, the, the, the characteristics of that dog, you have to really dial in to see how mm-hmm. to train that dog. Just like people, every dog is different, right? So what works for one dog is not going to necessarily work for the next dog. Mm-hmm. And even if, if they came from the same litter or same, they could have different personalities. Um, and that translates to a skiff. Uh, not every angler is the same. So being patient and learning how Mr. Jones may cast and how Mr. Jones may be able to approach a fish is not going to work for Mr. Scott who approaches a fish, you Mm know? Um, so I would say the biggest attribute that I gained from hunting and training would definitely have to be patience, um, and attention to detail. Mm -hmm. Those, I mean, kind of go hand in hand and it definitely translates across the board in the outdoors, I would say. So, you mentioned habitat loss. This is the fastest growing county in Florida in the U.S.? It was in the U.S. Uh, right after the peak of COVID. Don't quote me on that. Okay. But there was a point that St. John's County was within like the top three of the fastest growing counties yeah. in the nation. But, yeah, um, it's growing 
insanely. I was joking today when I said, did all this get built last night? <laughs> you it, know, it like <laughs> it feels that way. It, it literally looks that way. And a lot of people in, across, you know, the people listening to this have dealt with this. There is so many different ways that we can process the fact that people move, people live in homes, people eat food that is predominantly bought from grocery stores. People, you know, go bowling, they go top golfing, they do. And so because people like, because people live in houses and because all of that, we clear land because we keep making more people. And, you know, a lot of us enjoy making people. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But, uh, you know, um, there's a wrestle with that and it's, 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 tough. it's felt on the water in some ways as certain fisheries, people become more and more populated. We talked about that some this morning. It's felt when you're driving through an area and some people, you know, there's, there's two types of people that drive through areas like that. They go, Oh wow. They got a, you know, wow. Look at that. They got a Buffalo wild wings. And there's people who go, God, this used to be woods and we're both that person. Right. You know, that's, it's hard to see, what used to be native Florida get torn down and I don't care how cool the arcade is or how awesome the pool is like, you know, so tell me about for you as someone who grew up here, how you've worked through that personally. So take a step back. Um, as we were talking about the hog hunting days and in the, the hunting days in general, um, I was the guy who had the negative approach that no one deserves this, but me, this is my specialty. You know, I've done this for years. Uh, not that I deserve this, but this is my thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I let the amount of people moving and the loss of habitat literally ruin some of that for me. Meaning that I focused on them being there and them enjoying it more than I did on me enjoying what I had left, if, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And there was a moment in time when I literally sat down And I said, you are a hypocrite. You're mad because these people are finding out about the things you love and and they're starting to love it. And how can I be mad at somebody falling in love with the same thing that I love to do every day, right? Like when you go out there and you see the things that we see on the water and in the Mm -hmm. woods and in nature, it's, it's hard not to love it. It's not for everybody, but there's something captivating about it that pulls people in, I believe. And so I had to adjust my thinking because when uh, development starts, as I said earlier, it doesn't stop when we were talking, when we were driving through mm-hmm. that area you were mentioning. And so I, I looked at it as a new way. I said, there's two ways I can handle this mm-hmm. with, with the fishing. I said, I can either be mad mm-hmm. and they're still going to build and they're still going to be on the water. They're just not going to know what to do. Or I can say, you know what? They are new to the water and they're going to be out here regardless whether I like it or not. And I can try to show them the right way to do something. I can show them there's certain ways that we go about things here. There's certain ways to handle yourself on the water. There's certain etiquette when it comes to fishing. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's not many days we go out here and you're not going to see a boat or two. Now, today we were really blessed. We've literally only seen one spot. We went to one boat. Um, But it's it's an area that has over the last 10 years grown tremendously. And especially since COVID, when everyone started moving to Florida, it has, you know, it's really gotten out of hand. 
And so it's easier for me to say, let me get these people on my boat maybe as a guide or as the outfitter and kind of show them the ropes mm-hmm. instead of, man, all these people are here and this just sucks and no one deserves it but me. This is mm-hmm. my playground and it's not for anybody else. I just don't think that helps the situation at all. And like I said, there's nothing we can do, unfortunately, to stop that once it starts. I mean, I remember when they were putting in a few thousand houses here, and now in my area alone, we're over to 20,000 new houses in the last couple of years with mm-hmm. another 10,000 expected to come. And as, as much as we can coalition together and fight in our area, it's, it's too late, I hate to say, um, in a lot of senses. Not too late to protect what we have left, and the quality and the water quality and that thing, but the houses are already here. The people are already here. And now you have to, to learn a way to adapt to that. Um, being angry helps nobody about it, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my approach. It may not be for everybody, but if I could teach somebody and extend that hand and still keep my enjoyment that, Hey, that guy's not going to ruin it for me because he wants to be out here in a boat fishing. Mm-hmm. There's enough water, even in our area to, to be able to work around that. And there's a piece of it for everybody. And rightfully so everyone deserves it. You know, like I, again, I feel like a hypocrite saying, no, this is only for me. You can't come enjoy what I enjoy. I just have a hard time being that way now. Because like I said, it did ruin a big part of what I love, like the deer hunting and the hog hunting. And I got super bitter about it. So that may be coming with age and growing a little bit, being a little more mature, that might have something to do with it. But that's my approach, and like I said, it may not be for everyone, and I understand it's it's frustrating, you know? Mm-hmm. None of us want to see Florida become what it has, but I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's just kind of how I feel about it. No, I think that's really helpful, and for me, it's challenging for me to be in some of these areas of Florida because where I live is very rural um, in McCullough County, Florida, and we're about 70% state and federal land, beautiful, you know, beautiful fishery, uh, Wakulla Springs, huge freshwater spring. Um, and we just had a, a victory. The, ba- the war's not over, the battle's not over, but we just had a victory over a piece of land that they were wanting to try to rezone, put a gas station over. It was connected to our cave system and, and that fed into our spring. And uh, our community had over 400 people show up to um, our last meeting and we applied enough pressure that we were able to um, see a small victory of that getting tabled and potentially bought by forever Florida so that that land can just be protected. We're we're trying to get a setback zone in. It's a longer story. That's not, that's a different podcast for a different time. But one of the things that I've been compelled by the past couple of years as I've thought more about it is people are moving here. People live here. And one of the things that we, it's there, there's a phrase I heard one time. It's not my fault, but it's my responsibility. Yes. And if you enjoy the water in the woods and you love this place and you consider yourself a Floridian, it might not be your fault, but take it upon yourself to make it your responsibility. And we can sit around and point fingers about whose fault it is, or we can actually get out of our chairs and do something and say, this is my responsibility. I know this place. I love this place. I know how special it is. I'm going to fight to protect it. Here's one of the things I'm, I've wrestled with too. So many people in the outdoor community are absolute jerks and everybody in their city knows and everybody in their County knows. 
and every kid that ever went out on a john boat and was sitting in the wrong spot or did the wrong thing or didn't release a fish the right way when they were 16 years old with their friends and these people were mean to them and rude to them and jerks to them and now you're upset that they're not listening to you absolutely why that- would they who nobody wants to and so this is the thing too of like we win people you catch more flies with honey than vinegar and if your life goal is just to make your image a certain way so that you look like sons of anarchy with sunscreen sunscreens of anarchy <laughs> then fine but if we actually want to make a difference we're going to actually have to be persuasive with people and I, I think that's important to see i agree and when i said it's too late a minute ago i don't mean it's too late we don't need to protect what we yeah. have i say that in this area the people are already here mm-hmm. and it's exactly what you said it's our job to educate those people mm-hmm. And again, yeah, this 16-year-old kid who's never caught that fish, guess what? He might not know how to release it. He's got to learn. Somebody's got to teach him, and that's Mm -hmm. a big thing. I I said it earlier on the boat. um, I was saying in hunting that we used to have, and the saying was that a man's ego is a tough burden for a hound to carry. And I also translate that to fishing because so many people have an ego because they're good at fishing. It's, It's fishing. You, mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of life that's that's it's important to me but there's people are important and mm-hmm. your impact on those people are important and ego needs to take a back seat so i would venture to say if there was a statistic statistic that probably 90 percent of people involved in the outdoors at some point were shown something mm-hmm. someone scattered a chrome that you've seen that got you intrigued. Mm-hmm. Someone showed you something to get your interest peaked, right? Like very few people. And there are those people who go out and they discover it all on their own. They figure it out on their own and they're totally responsible for their success. That, that hundred percent happens. But I think that number is so small, uh, that we'd be shocked. And if you really put it into perspective, again, I feel like, to be a good outdoorsman, you're teaching the generation after you to be a good outdoorsman. And don't get me wrong. I understand that people have to put in their time. I understand that people have to put in their work. I understand that aspect of the game. Mm-hmm. Trust me. I, I pulled a boat around for hours and hours uh, on my own trying to figure things out, beating my head against the wall. But I also had a couple of dudes that said, hey, man, maybe you should try this. Hey, man, why don't you go over, you know, uh, check this type of tide one day. You know, just drop me little nuggets along the way, and I don't see any harm or foul in that. Like, mm-hmm. helping the next man's only going to make that guy better. So when I see that guy on the water, if I'm pulling into a creek, as you've seen today, some of our creeks, you have to go way back, right? It takes a while to get back there. I'm pulling back there. I see some guy running up on me. Do you think that guy has a better chance of us having a good interaction, him turning around and leaving me undisturbed if I was nice to him at the ramp one day? Or if I was the guy who was just a total ass to him Mm -hmm. and was rude to him because he was out in the water fishing. Do you think he's going to have courtesy and turn around and leave and be cool? Mm -hmm. No, he's probably going to cause a confrontation or have a bad taste in his mouth. And it's exactly what you said. You catch more flies with honey, right? So I I firmly believe in the outdoors. That's the the approach you should take. Um, Not saying give all your your tips away and your secrets and your juice. Mm Mm-hmm but there's nothing wrong with seeing a young guy and kind of pointing him in the right direction. Or if he's doing something wrong, don't jump all over him on his Instagram post and tell him what a delinquent he is and how uneducated he is. Shoot him a DM and be like, Hey man, I seen this. That's awesome that you caught that fish, 
But next time, maybe do this when you're letting it go. Mm. Maybe don't grab it here. Maybe do this, not telling you what to do, but that's just my, you know, two cents to help mm. you out. And I think that goes a lot further than a rude comment on his, uh, you know, his Instagram post or his Facebook post yeah. even being a keyboard warrior. Yeah, and, and I think there's a difference between somebody who just is a young person or, or a person being arrogant, refusing to care about how to handle a fish, refusing to care about right. trying right. to be courteous. You know, we all make mistakes. We try to learn from them. Sometimes people have to be firm with us. I'm not saying that people don't have to be firm. And sometimes you have to say hard things. But what I am saying is if you are, if you are bad with people, don't be surprised when they don't listen to you. Absolutely. And you can act like an advocate and you can act like an influencer and do whatever you want. But if, you know, that same kid that you chewed out because he didn't realize that you shouldn't hold a redfish that way when he was 14 in his kayak or whatever is not going to be super excited to hear about all the, the conservation concerns you have because that kid's just hoping that you never yell or talk to him again. Right. So I think I, I think back to, to full circle on this kind of like wrapping this up is you know, as we drive around, there's a thing when I, when I went over and spent some time with flip, he talked about Florida values and as Floridians, we want to help people understand that these are beautiful places and they're worth protecting and they're worth fighting for. And they are filled with pink birds and medium tasting marsh hens <laughs> and tailing redfish and stingrays and manatees and dolphins. They are filled with grass flats that hold more life than we could ever comprehend in a, a cubic yard. They are places where, you know, I told you, you were asking if my kids fish, my, my kids and wife are really into paddleboarding right now. They're, you can, you can rent a paddleboard and see crabs and manatees and all sorts of life teeming all around you. You can walk a beach and see porpoises. You can, all of this is so accessible to everybody in so many different ways. It's worth protecting, but we do have to teach people how it all fits together, how all of this is connected, you know, what happens when you destroy habitat. And, you know, I think that to me, it's really neat to see your passion for this place and, um, a place that I think, you know, gets overlooked because it's nestled between, you know, a city that is notorious for getting made fun of yep. <laughs> Jacksonville and uh, a city that's known for like a great place to have a bachelorette weekend, eat chocolate and do mini golf, St. Augustine, right? which has beautiful history. No offense, St. Augustine, love St. Augustine, but, yeah, but, but, and here we are in the oldest region set, settlement wise of Florida and you know, trying to keep the Florida values alive. So thank you for doing it. Thank you for taking me out today. I'm excited to follow the journey Thanks, of man. historic coast and what you guys are doing. And I'm really pumped to be at Marsh Fest on October 7th. 7th. Um, I will be there and uh, there's going to be some great people. I'm excited to hang out with Drew. Uh, it's always great. Leon Meitzen, Skinny Water Culture is going to be here. So many people I love. So many great people coming together. Artists are coming up. Uh, Dry Fly John's coming up. You've just you've mentioned so many great companies and people. I, I wish I had a list right now to read. But um, can't wait. Grateful for what you're doing in your time. Thanks, Justin, for hanging out. No problem, man. Thanks for having me and I look forward to it. 
A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.